It's time for the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the radio show uh, on this day of July, 2014. Uh, uh, we're here with our co-host, Jay Basser. He's on the road again. Uh, he'll be reporting in here a little later, I hope. And uh, we also have our uh, technician, uh, Stretch. He'll be keeping the, all the technical things going here. And today our, our guest speaker is uh, Bill with the uh, uh, support dogs. How are you doing today, Bill? I am doing wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. How about yourself? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, can you give us an update on the support dogs? How are they doing? Anything new going on with them? Well, we're uh, getting ready to actually break ground on a new facility uh, we are building. Um, what we have found over the last few years is, I guess you can look at it as either fortunately or unfortunately, we've been getting a lot more requests for assistance dogs um, from the general public and um, from military veterans, too, with PTSD and, and the like. And uh, our current space that we have now is not big enough to keep up with the demand, and so we are getting ready to put shovels in the dirt in the next few weeks and build a facility that will allow us to uh, train more dogs and place more dogs on an annual basis and uh, help more people that are requesting our services. So it's a very exciting time for us right now. Well, that's uh, that's wonderful. I mean, uh, we all know what a great companion a dog can be, and, and when they're well-trained, and uh, such as your support dogs. Uh, what all do they ha- help the uh, patient with? Uh, I mean, what, what type of services? I know uh, different patients uh, require different, uh, probably a different type of training for their their dogs, and mm-hmm. uh uh, are you able to accommodate that most times? Most times. I mean, what we do is we train three kinds of dogs. We train service dogs, hearing dogs, and then psychiatric service dogs. And so um, if somebody has a physical disability or uh, they might be um, losing a limb or need help with mobility-related tasks, uh, we train service dogs to do the things that they cannot do for themselves. So the dogs can pick up stuff you drop on the floor. Um, They can open doors for people. They can carry bags. Um, They can uh, help you take your clothes off. They can take off your shoes, your socks, pants, shirt, eyeglasses, wristwatch, really anything you have on. Um, so really it's a mobility tool for somebody that uh, has issues with, with their own mobility. Uh, we do hearing dogs for people that are deaf or hard of hearing, and what those dogs do is that they alert to sounds in the environment. So um, if, like, your doorbell rings or the fire detector goes off or 
um, somebody knocks on your door or calls your name, the dog will come up to the person, uh, will nudge the person, and then actually take them to the sound. Um, so it really acts as the second set of ears for somebody. And then our third dog, which is our psychiatric service dog, that is exclusively for military veterans. And what those dogs do is really act as a second set of eyes for somebody. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, I know hypervigilance is a big concern um, for military veterans uh, getting back out into public or getting resocialized. Um, so what happens is these dogs, you can take them out in public and uh, they will look around corners ahead of the person to let the person know if there's somebody there. Uh, they can look through doorways. Uh, when they sit, they sit facing behind the person, and then they can alert the person if somebody's walking up behind them. Um, a lot of our clients have uh, reported that nightmares happen quite frequently, and the dogs can wake them up from their nightmares. Uh, so really it's kind of a grounding tool um, and really a mechanism to kind of keep uh, the, the veteran grounded in reality. Um, <clears throat> and it helps motivate them, too, to get them out in public. So uh, you've got to take the dog out. And uh, we hear from our clients that, uh, you know, that they are much more confident and willing to go out because they have a dog that's by their side. So it gives them a sense of self-confidence also. I know... Uh uh, Teresa the, here, the, uh, the owner of Had it, uh, has a service dog that mm -hmm. uh, you folks fixed her up with, and, and she is just so happy with her. I think it's a dog named Cindy, and uh, uh, I don't think you <laughs> you could. Uh, uh, she would go anywhere without that dog. I mean, that that's her companion, and and uh, she is so pleased with him, with her. Yeah, yeah. I you know it's helped her do a lot of things that she wasn't uh, able to do, or kind of prevented herself from doing. So uh, we always love to hear stories from Teresa. Oh yes, uh, and. Uh, she has plenty. I mean, uh, that dog has really done a lot for her, and mm -hmm. and I can just imagine other veterans being able to utilize uh, a companion such as that. And and I know the the need is out there. It, it's out, and it's the need is even growing. I'm sure you you can verify that. Right. Um, how many uh, uh, service animals have you been able to place so far? I mean, since since you you guys started. Oh, several hundred. I mean, we um, this is our 31st year in operation. We started back in 1983. Oh. Um, so several hundred over the years. I mean, currently right now we've got. Um, about 95 that are out there currently working. Um, and we place about 20 a year, anywhere from 18 to 20 a year, but um, it's just not enough. And so when we um, get this new facility complete and we ramp up our, our operations, uh, we'll have the ability to place about 50 dogs a year. So 
Um, you know, and part of that too is to reduce the wait time because right now, unfortunately, um, I think every organization you go to has a very long wait time just because the needs outweigh the ability to provide. And um, our wait time is on average anywhere from 18 to 24 months on average. Uh -huh. uh, sometimes we can do do it quicker, but um, when we move into our new facility, we'll be able to reduce that to probably about six months. So it'll be a dramatic decrease in the amount of uh, wait time that somebody has before the time they apply until they actually get a dog. Uh, do you work uh, very close with other other uh, su support dog uh, uh, services? That I mean, other others that uh, do the same thing. Well, uh, I wouldn't say we work close. I mean, we're all kind of in this together, so to speak. And, um, you know, we are in contact with other agencies, probably on a daily basis for one reason or another. But um, the one thing that we have is a good referral link between all of us. And so um, sometimes somebody will call here and they want a particular service that we can't provide. We can refer them to another organization or vice versa. Um, you know, I think probably in the United States, there's probably about 120 different agencies that provide assistance dogs of all kinds. Now, not all of them serve everybody, but um, they're out there to serve somebody, you know, with a, a particular disability. And and so, you know, we do get a lot of referrals from other agencies that that cannot help somebody. They'll send them to us, and and we do the same to them. Now, if something happens to a service animal, uh, for instance, they're in an automobile accident or something, and uh, they're they're no longer uh, can be, you know, of service, uh, are those dogs replaced, or how do you handle that situation? Yeah, they are. I mean, knock on wood, we've never had that happen. Um, what will happen usually, though, is that, you know, when we place the dog, the dog's usually about two years old. Uh -huh. And they'll work with a client for probably seven, eight, nine years. It kind of just depends on what the dog does and, you know, age. And, you know, the same things happen to dogs. They happen to people. They get arthritis. They get cataracts. They just slow down. So what will happen is um, if somebody does need, we call them successor dogs, um, if somebody would need a successor dog, uh, they do have to reapply, but they get first priority for a replacement or a successor dog, uh, so they move to the top of the list um, so that um, ideally we don't give them the opportunity to have a gap before one dog retires and another one goes into service. Um, but if something catastrophic would happen, say, you know, they were in a car accident or or something of that nature, we would certainly do what we need to do to replace the dog as fast as possible. Uh, you know, uh, should a dog become disabled, uh, what do you do? I mean, you know, uh, what's your criteria for dealing with these, these animals? Or, uh, do, you, do you put them in a shelter, or do you mm -hmm. adopt them out to someone that don't really need a full-service dog? Yeah, I mean, if, if, if you know, the animal, um, again, very, very, very rarely do the dogs come back to us. 
Um, when the dogs retire for whatever reason, uh, we give the client the option of keeping the dog as a pet or uh, they can give the dog to like a family member or a friend, somebody that the dog is used to being around. Um, and if they don't have anybody, then we would take the dog back and then we would adopt it out and just place it as a pet. So uh, they never go into a shelter. Um, we always try to find a, a good home, and we always do find a good home uh, for the animal. But uh, usually the client is the one that does that because uh, they've got somebody in mind. And, um, you know, when a dog retires especially, uh, we want the last couple of years for the dog um, just to be enjoyed being a pet. And um, people, you know, people are more than happy to step up and help out. So uh, we never have an issue of trying to find a home for a dog. Well, you know, after I think about it, I wouldn't think that you would because anyone has been around the animal would would certainly know how well behaved they are and what have you. So mm -hmm. I can understand that. Uh, that's a good feature. Uh, at least you you stand by your your animal as well as as uh the veteran or the person that it's servicing so that's a good deal um how many people do you have currently working uh in this field uh now you're you're operating just primarily off donations aren't you and grants Right, yeah, we are a nonprofit, and so uh, we do donations, we do grants, uh, we do fundraisers. Um, we are a United Way agency here in St. Louis, so we get funding from our United Way. Um, so, you know, kind of everybody chips in, so to speak, um, and really makes this happen. Um, Working here, I mean, we're small. Um, we don't. Well, I guess we would be considered small to medium size. We have in total about 16 people that work here doing everything. So um, we've got three trainers that we have that specifically train the dogs. Uh, we've got three people that specifically work in the kennel because uh, we do have dogs living on site, and so they take care of the dogs, and then. Everybody else is either administration or that we do uh, public obedience classes too. So uh, we've got a couple people that are on staff that do just public obedience classes. Well, that's a good deal. Yeah. yeah. And you are in the growing mode, so mm -hmm. it uh, it looks like you're you're probably going to need some more help. Yeah, we will eventually. Um, you know, when we when we grow, we're going to um, obviously need more people, you know, on staff. And so uh, we'll do it slow and we'll do it methodically, but uh, we'll get there. You know, it's just going to depend on funding and what's available. Um, certainly the need is there. Uh, we just have to make sure that, you know, we've got the funds that can match our, our growing needs. But we've already started to investigate that. So, um, yeah, like I said, you know, we're in a growing mode, and we're fortunate to have a, a lot of uh, great support. Uh, we've got a lot of great partnerships, also, and um, you know, so I, I, I don't think that uh, we'll have an issue. It's just going to be, 
uh, kind of doing it, like I said, methodically and making sure we can maintain our services and, and, and grow them so that we can meet the demand. Well, I know you're doing a great job so far, so... Well, thank you for uh, that. We we like uh, it, so... <laughs> Uh, have you ever had an incident where uh, the service animal and 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 the uh, patient uh, uh, turned out not to be compatible? Um, we might have had one or two. Um, when somebody comes to get a dog from us, we have what we call a team training. Yes. Um, and it's a two-week training where we have the person and the dog work together. Um, and if it's not going to work, we can um, kind of, we know that right off the bat. And so if it's not going to work, what we can do is we can either invite the person back to another training or we can switch the dog out. Uh, so we're not going to place the dog with somebody that we know it's not going to work. Um, every once in a while a dog will come back to us because either the person's situation changes or they can't take care of the dog or uh, for some reason they might not want the dog any longer. Um, <clears throat> so if that's the case, the dogs just come back to us and we can kind of repolish them off and place them with somebody else. But uh, once we place a dog, we want to make sure that you know it's a, it's a permanent placement. We don't we don't want the dog to come back um, just because you know when we place a dog, we want to place it for the life of the dog and uh, really make a, a bond between the dog and the client. So uh, we do everything we can, and that team training really helps out with that. Lets us know who is good to work together and who might not be. And if they're not, then we, we find another dog that would be good and more suited to that person. Yeah, it's hard for me to understand someone not wanting, you know, uh, being hard to work with a dog because I love dogs and I find mm -hmm. them, uh, you know, they they seem to sense that and... and uh, uh, I would think that you know you're 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 an individual who loves animals, so uh, I can I can see where you wouldn't have much trouble with that. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, but like I said, sometimes I think what happens is um, in the cases that we've had the dogs come back. Like I said, either the person's situation changes you know, their 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 disability gets worse maybe and then they can't care for the dog or, um, <clears throat> you know, one of the things we tell people is that these are dogs and, you know, dogs first and kind of helping tools second. And uh, sometimes I think people have a, a misconception that, you know, they're going to get these dogs and their life is going to be just perfect afterwards. And it's like, well, no, <laughs> you know, they're dogs. And you got to treat them like dogs first, and they're going to help. Um, <clears throat> you know, so, you know, and like I said, it's very rare that that happens, but um, it sometimes does. And, you know, like I said, if that's the case, then the nice thing is, you know, we use Labrador Retrievers and Golden Retrievers. Uh -huh. um, so they're a good-sized dog, but they're also very happy to be with really anybody. 
um, that really pays them attention and feeds them. And you know, I always say, if you feed the dog and pet the dog, that dog is yours. You know that that that's all they want. So it's really easy to replace them with somebody else um, if it doesn't work. But um, <clears throat> like I said, it's rare. So you know, probably 99.9% of every placement that we make, um, it's for life. So that's good. Oh, you know, and then yeah. it just gets better. You know, it gets better. You know, the longer the people and the dogs work together, the more the dog does for the person, the stronger the bond becomes. And, um, you know, it's just, I, I think it's, you know, on the plus side, you hear all these stories, you know, and I know Teresa can attest to this too, but, um I think, you know, they're able to do more than they really even thought they could uh, before getting the dog. Um, it really does give them a sense of independence. It gives them a motivation to, to get out. Um, we always say it's interesting when people go out, uh, they're going to focus on the dog. You know, it's like if you go out in public, uh, nobody's concerned really with what you are or who you are. You know, their their focus is on the beautiful dog that they're with and, uh, people, of course, like to talk about their dogs, so it's a good self-esteem boost for them as well. And um, uh, so it's like a win-win. You know, the dog helps them from a functionality standpoint, but it also gives them the confidence and the self-esteem to uh, get back out into life and, and to have the confidence to know that if they need assistance, that dog is there to help them out. Well, I've noticed over the years most dogs... About every dog I've ever had, but they wasn't, you know, specifically trained. But they were just natural work dogs. They wanted to work doing something. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. I, I think they have a natural instinct for that. And if you know how to uh, work with them and, and bring that out, uh, you're going to have a nice dog. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's why we use the retrievers because, you know, they're hunting dogs by nature. Um, and what we do is we just say we change their job description. So instead, you know, they were bred for hunting and going and retrieving, you know, waterfowl and, and things of that nature. So instead of doing that, you know, we still use their retrieval instincts, mm -hmm. uh, but we turn it into something that's functional for somebody with a disability. And um, if you ever watch any of our dogs work, their tails are constantly wagging. They enjoy, they thoroughly enjoy doing what they're doing. Uh, we use nothing but positive training methods. And so uh, the dogs do it because they want to. They don't do it out of fear, you know, or out of fear of punishment. Um, they like to do it because then, you know, they get the praise or they might get a little treat slipped to them every once in a while. And, uh you know, that just, it makes them happy, you know, and, you know, that's one of the things that we are very proud of is that, you know, it's, we focus on the human canine bond and really making it a positive one. You know, if the dog wants to do it, the dog's going to do it, you know, and if the person motivates, you know, they're going to get what they want from the dog, and so um, it just makes them closer, and I think it makes the dog more in tuned also to what people want. Um, you know, it's interesting when we place the dog, you know, we place the dog to do so many things for the person. Uh, but then after you check in with the person a year, two years, five years down the road, 
they're telling us that the dogs are doing so much more than what we even train them to do just because the dogs kind of fit into the lifestyle, you know, and and dogs love routine. That's the best thing for the dog is routine. Well, anybody with a disability has a routine life. I mean, they do the same things at the same times all the time. And so that's just ideal for the dog. And, um, <clears throat> you know, we hear people that say, guess what my dog did for me today? And sometimes we're just like, wow, you know, we didn't train your dog to do that, but the clients actually can train their dog to do different things. So um, it's really remarkable, you know, to kind of follow somebody from when they actually get the dog through their life <clears throat> because, like I said, you know, the dogs learn more. Um, and just the complete turnaround in personality and character of somebody that, that receives one of these dogs, sometimes it's night and day. It is sometimes like night and day. We just placed a dog um, in, was it November, I think? Or no, it was February. February of this year with a young man that was uh, a veteran. He was in Iraq um, and... Um, he had PTSD, and he also had a traumatic brain injury, and so he had some balance issues as well. And so we trained the dog to, to help out with both of his balance issues and his PTSD. And um, very, very quiet, very withdrawn, never went anywhere. Um, but, you know, he was motivated. He really wanted to do this. And uh, when he came back to see us in May for graduation, he came in the door with his dog, and he was smiling. He told a couple jokes. You know, he laughed. And, I mean, it was a complete change from night and day. You know, he still has his PTSD. You always have that. But um, his outlook on life and his motivation, um, he was so secure with his dog. Um, and that dog was so secure with him that uh, it really was a neat thing to see. It was like... You know, is this the same person that was here in February? Because, I mean, it was just, it was, we were all amazed, absolutely amazed. So, I think the dogs do more for people than we even know, you know. I'm sure of that. I really mm -hmm. am. I, I, I think you're right about that. Uh, and like you say, dogs will pick up on things that, uh, and, and do naturally that you wouldn't think that they would. And so uh, that's a good thing. I mean, it, it's such a wonderful service you all provide, and and the need is so great out there. It, it, mm -hmm. uh, I wish everyone that needed a service uh, dog could get one. And and uh, we we know there's a lot of veterans out there in need, and. Uh, uh, hopefully someday we'll be able to fill that need uh, for them. Mm -hmm. That's our goal, you know, is to help out yeah. everybody kind of working together, um, you know, and try to make it easy for people too, I think, because um, I know with a lot of veterans, and I, I think you guys even talk about it on your show sometimes, yes, how difficult do, it can yeah. be for veterans to receive services. And, um, you know, one of the things that we're proud of is that, you know, even though we do have an application process, um, we make it relatively easy for the person. Uh, we do not charge for our dogs. 
Um, all of our services are offered at no cost. So um, if somebody says, well, you know, I know they're expensive or I can't afford it, you don't pay for it. You know, we give the dog to a person. Um, and then if you're a military veteran, uh, we have a scholarship fund that's set up that uh, would cover the cost of the application fee and the cost of the equipment that comes with the dog. So any military veteran can come here and get a dog and not pay a dime to get that. You know, and um, that's a good incentive for a lot of people because, you know, people might not have a job or they don't have a whole lot of money or they're on limited income. And, you know, we don't want to put a price on independence. We don't want to say that, you know, if you've got $10,000, that's what it costs to get a dog. Well, that's not the case. Um, we want everybody to have an equal opportunity and, and a fair shake. And, you know, we figure veterans have given enough. You know, they don't need to give to receive a dog. You know, we're more than happy to do that at no cost to them. So I would encourage any of the listeners um, or anybody that's listening that knows somebody that could benefit from a dog to really check us out or check other agencies out. But um, we like them to come here just because, you know, we're getting ready to to make some changes to get um, our, our methods down to serve people faster. But, um, you know, we have a website which is supportdogs.org. They can go on there and find everything that they need to know, or they can call us. Our phone number's on the website. And we'd be more than happy to talk with anybody if they have questions. We just want to make it easy for people to to access the service and, and apply and go through the process if they desire to. Uh, uh, Bill, we have to stop here uh, and take a little break, a commercial break, uh, mm-hmm. for habit. And uh, we'll be right back after this. So just hold tight. Will do, will do. You're listening to the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com is veterans helping veterans. We leave no one behind, not on a jungle trail, not on a desert trail, and not on a paper trail. If you want any information about the VA, log on to www.hadit.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, uh, to the Haddock uh, Radio Show. Uh, let me give out our call-in number if you'd like to call in uh, with a question or comment uh, for Bill there. Uh, uh, he's with the uh, support dogs. Uh, the number is 347-237-4819. The call-in number, once again, is 347-237-4819. If you have a question or comment, please call in. Uh, If you're interested in a support uh, dog, uh, don't hesitate. Give us a call. Uh, uh, Bill, I'll be only too glad to work with you. Uh, So back to you, Bill. Uh, Mm -hmm. Let's... Uh, right, right now, it, it it's looking great for support dogs. I, I'm I'm just happy uh, to be able to uh, 
bring it, uh, more attention to them, get them more out in the limelight here where they deserve to be because uh, it's it's such a service, especially to veterans in need. And we know there's a lot of them out there in need of, of a, a specialized trained animal. And, and uh, you, you ain't getting no better than and support dogs. Well, thank you for that. Like I said, uh, you know, we just want people to know that we're a resource and, um, you know, if people want to, you know, we're in St. Louis and, you know, people can come here to get a dog and, you know, for some that, that can't come here or not want to, we can refer them to an organization in their area. You know, our goal is just to help people in any way we can, so... Uh, we're happy to do it. And I believe we have uh, you posted there on the Haddock website. And uh, so uh, people can go to haddock.com and and uh, uh, look up uh, support dogs. And that will uh, take you to, to their, uh, I think, link to their website. And uh, get you their phone numbers. So uh, please give them a call uh, if if you're in need of a service animal. And and uh, these are wonderful dogs. Uh, I know uh, Teresa. Uh, uh, you won't talk to her without her bragging on hers. And and her and Cindy have uh, they're uh, they're uh, Pals, <laughs> uh, the best pals, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, of course uh, they they look out for each other, and Sandy takes good care of Teresa. So uh, that that's a wonderful thing. I mean, whenever you see something like that, uh, you can just feel the good in, in, in what's being done. But uh, uh, now, once you get your new facility uh, uh, going, Bill, you said you build a, you're hoping to build a place 50 dogs a year? Yeah, that's what our goal is. I mean, it'll take a couple of years to kind of ramp up production, so to speak, um, <clears throat> just because we have to start getting more puppies into the program and uh, volunteers to raise the puppies and such. But our goal is that uh, we'll be able, within five years, to be placing 50 dogs a year. Um, And what that means, you know, for us and for people that are interested is that, you know, we can place more dogs to help more people, but we can do it faster. Um, I think that's what discourages people the most is the wait time. You know, they don't want to apply for something. And, you know, I, I can see, you know, where you know, applying for a dog um, and then having to wait for a dog, especially when you need help today, um, it can be discouraging. But, you know, we want people anywhere to apply just because, um, like I said, you know, with PTSD especially, um, it can be a little bit faster for somebody with PTSD. Um, We don't really have a numbered list. Um, We have... What we do is we do case by case, 
And so, uh, you know, we've had people that have had to wait, you know, 18 months or 24 months for a dog. We've had people that have had to wait five months for a dog. Um, It always just depends. And, you know, that's why I tell people to call us, get the information, uh, start the process, because you just never know. We might be able to serve you in a more expedient fashion. But... Um, and like I said, it, it's it's kind of an overwhelming process too. I think for some, uh, just because it's different. And so, um, and I can tell you this: we're all very nice people. <laughs> you know, we all we all like to say, you no. Know, I mean, we put a personal touch on it. You don't get lost in the bureaucracy. And I think I mentioned to you earlier that you know we're not a big organization; we're small. And that's one of the things that. Uh, people that come in contact with us say as we have really just kind of a family feel about us and an intimate, I think it's an intimate feel about us. And, uh, you know, we walk people through the process as much as we can and we're in contact and, uh, you know, everything that we do we want to make a success. You know, we want to set people up for success with their dogs. Um, And like I said, it doesn't cost anything. Um, it, it's a completely free service, and so um, even if people are just thinking about it and they want to talk to somebody about it, um, I encourage them to give us a call. They might decide, you know, after talking that it might not be for them. That's fine. Uh, but if it is, then we can certainly do what we need to do to to get them started with the process and hopefully get them a dog in the end. So. Um, and it helps, you know, like I said, you know, we talk about Teresa, and, and Teresa can tell you stories, but, you know, every single one of our clients can tell you that they would do this again in a heartbeat. Um, you know, and by having a dog, you know, with the laws that are out there, with the American with Disabilities Act and such, I mean, uh, people can take these dogs to any place of public accommodation. Uh, they can travel with their animals, and so... Um, you know, it, it's one of those things that you take with you everywhere and that is always with you. And um, I think that really does help, like I said earlier, help and motivate people to get out and become active and kind of reclaim part of a life that they might have lost either because of a disability or an illness or um, you know, combat in, rel- in regards to, to military veterans um, or even just the experience. Um, and, and also, like I said, too, that, you know, we train the dogs to do a certain number of things, but I think they provide so much more to people, um, things that we can't train, you know, from a personality and from an emotional standpoint. And um, it's really been, like I said, it's it's nice for us to hear the stories and uh, really um, hear the positive impact that these dogs make in people's lives because um, they're doing stuff that they never thought they'd be able to do, you know, or stuff that they used to do that they wouldn't think they would be able to do again. They're out there doing uh, because of this dog, and that's the whole idea. And my thing is, too, you have a dog. I mean, who doesn't like a dog? You know, it's fun to have a dog. It's a companion. It's that one entity that doesn't judge you for who you are, um, that's happy to see you all the time, and um, the bonds that are formed are 
you you can't you know you can't measure that you can't put a price on it so um it's a good thing for everybody you know even the dog because the dog gets the attention and gets to do what it likes to do and is happy to do it so it's a win-win situation for everybody you know uh what about someone with COPD or someone with uh a serious heart ailment uh, uh can you accommodate those? With the heart, it would depend on if it would affect their their um, mobility. Um, you know, we do have people that have COPD, but they also have other things. Um, uh-huh. You know, it's got to be a classified disability, and that's one of the things, too, that we look um, at is when people apply, we want to know how will a dog help them, Um, you know, because everybody's situation is different. And, you know, I say we could line up, you know, for example, 10 people that have multiple sclerosis. Every single one of their situations are going to be different. Um, You know, it's not a cookie-cutter process. And so... Um, if somebody has a, a, a disability or an illness that limits them in some way from a physical standpoint, um, we would consider serving them, but we would have to know how they envision the dog helping them um, and would the dog be able to help them. Uh, I think sometimes, um, it doesn't happen so much anymore, but uh, there have been times in the past where people come up with some pretty outrageous requests, you know, for a dog. And, you know, we have to keep it real and we have to keep, you know, everybody on the on the same plane in regards to the reality of what a dog can and cannot do. So, um, <clears throat> again, I tell people if they have a question, call us and we can talk it through. Um, you know, because by the definition of a service animal, they have to do three things for somebody that a person cannot do themselves or that they have difficulty doing for themselves. And, um, you know, we don't want people to apply for a dog just because somebody told them to. Uh, We want people to apply for a dog because they want to. And, you know, if they want to, they have some idea of how they think a dog's going to help them, and that's what we want to hear. Uh, yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, I, I didn't know if you dealt much with with uh, like uh, uh, heart diseases. Of course, uh, there's many different stages of heart diseases, mm-hmm. or or being a diabetic, uh, uh, things like that. Uh, PTSD, uh, that's easy to understand using a service dog Mm -hmm. uh, for that. Uh, uh, And and, uh, traumatic uh, brain injury, I certainly can see the need there. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, someone with COPD or heart disease uh, or someone that's had a stroke now, I could see a dog there. Yep, and we have had we helped we have helped several people that have had a stroke, you know, or have had Parkinson's or uh-huh. or things of that nature, um, because it affects their mobility. 
Yeah. And, you know, it that's, again, you know, it affects their mobility in such a way that we can train a dog to help them. Uh, so certainly with that, uh, people have had rheumatoid arthritis. Um, several people, actually, have had, you know, rheumatoid arthritis in the advanced stages. Um, so their mobility is limited, and we help out with that, too. So that's why I say we, we do everything on a case-by-case -case basis. We don't say that, you know, we only serve this or we only serve that or we won't serve this. Uh -huh. We want to hear from people because, you know, disabilities and illnesses affect people in different ways, and we want to know, you know, how an individual is affected to see if a dog can help them. Sometimes they can, sometimes they can't. Um, sometimes people might be better served seeking medical treatment you know, and not a dog, um, and we can tell them that too, um, you know. So it's just, you know, like I said, it's it's case by case. I, I think that's probably the best answer to give to, to any of those questions. Now, we don't do dogs for people that are diabetic. Um, there are dogs out there that do sense uh, fluctuations in insulin levels. We just don't train for that. Oh, well, I see. Yeah, I'd yeah. quite a bit training dogs for that, wouldn't I? Yeah, it's it's scent recognition, and like I said, that's just that's one service that we don't provide, you know. But there are organizations out there that do, and we can refer people to those organizations, you know, that might be able to help them in that capacity. Uh, now, people that's lost limbs and the war and what have you. Now, a service dog could come in handy there. Absolutely. I would think. Yep. Any kind of amputee um, that, that, absolutely. I was just trying to think of uh, different criterias that we could apply the service dog to, and like you say, it's going to be on a case-by-case -case basis, I suspect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, for the mobility aspect, the retrieving things is probably the biggest thing that people need because they're in a chair. You know, they're, or they're, they're, they can't, you know, they don't have the range of motion that you and I might have or that a, somebody that's, that's able-bodied might have. Um, so the dog is there. Um, as you mentioned earlier, strokes. Uh, the range of motion isn't there. Balance is off. We do balance dogs for people that might be ambulatory but have really bad balance. You know, and so we have, like I said, the the stroke um, people, people that have had strokes. We have people that have had Parkinson's disease. Um, you know, the dog kind of acts as a, a counterbalance, so to speak, for them. Uh, helps you know steady them so they don't fall as much. Um, if they do fall, the dog can go get the phone for them so that they can call for help, things of that nature. Um, and like I said, you know, people that apply, they usually, usually have some idea of what the dog is going to be able to do for them. Um, you know, we just, you know, we, we will talk it out with somebody to make sure that uh, the dog, in fact, can do that for somebody and that we're able to provide that service. Uh, let's see here. Uh, now, what about taking your uh, taking 
your service dog to a restaurant or uh, like a movie theater? You you going to a movie theater or or you're traveling? Uh, how does that work out? Well, like in a restaurant and a movie theater, um, you can take the dog wherever um, those places are allowed. They call it places of public accommodation. So, you know, you go to the mall, you go to the grocery store, you go to Walmart or Target or or any kind of shop, um, you can take your dog there. When you travel, um, you know, it depends on how you travel. <clears throat> Usually you have to notify the carrier, um, especially if you're flying with a service animal. You have to notify them ahead of time. Uh, but you know the animal will fly with the person if they're flying in the ca- you know in the cabin. You don't check the dog. The dog sits right with you on the plane. Um, same thing on a train or a bus. Um, there's no fees that are associated with that. Um, if they're traveling and they stay in a hotel, the hotel cannot charge a fee either because it's not considered a pet. It's considered a service animal, and by law you cannot charge a fee for those. Um, now, if the dog does any damage, then of course the person is liable. But um, for just fees, they can't. And so that's what I was saying before. You know, it's nice that that people can take their dogs to places that um, you know they might regularly go, like the grocery store or a movie theater or a shopping mall or you know, um, like I said, the Walmart or Target or, or any place. You can do that because. It's considered under the law uh, a necessary tool. Um, that's how the law looks at it, and um, so that you can take them anywhere. You can take them anywhere, and if somebody gives you any trouble or any resistance, you know, like for our clients, you know, we will contact the business and explain the law. And a lot of times, it's just education. Um, kind of explain the law to them, and uh, but we rarely have any issues uh, with our clients taking their dogs places. Most places, they're welcomed with no issues whatsoever. Well, that's good. Uh, mm-hmm. At least the uh, out in the public, then everyone uh, more or less accepts them. I've, I've seen them in different stores and what have you, and. Uh, uh, most of them wear a uh, old, like a back deal that hangs over them, uh, saying this is a service dog. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so, uh, do they carry special papers just to ensure that they can? Um, you know, with our dogs, they have the cape on that says that they're a working service dog. Um, they have the identification tags that also say that, and then we also give um, our clients papers that explain what the dog does. It really kind of depends on what agency uh, the person gets a dog from um, as to what equipment or supporting documentation goes along with it, but uh, we try to provide all of our people with as much as we can, so there is no question. You know, the cl- the dogs are clearly identified uh, with the vest or the cape. We call them a cape, but they're actually a, a backpack is what they wear. 
Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> or if they, you know, if depending on the situation, uh, um, if they have a harness, they have ID tags. That's got the dog's picture and the client's picture, and it explains that it's a working dog. Um, and then there's documentation that the people can carry around with them too, explaining the situation. Well, that's good because mm-hmm. uh, I, I've heard of people uh, taking their dogs in, claiming they were service dogs, but they had no proof of it. Right. <laughs> and uh, a lot of people was raising cane about that. Uh, although they might have been well-mannered and, and uh, trained pretty good, uh, they they wasn't uh, authentic uh, service animals, so yeah, they're it, trying to. It would be a difference. Yeah, and they're trying to um, work on the law to because right now there's no uniform law that says how a dog needs to be identified, and so that's kind of what the the next step in in the the legal reform process is is. Um, giving the dog some kind of standard identification so that people will know whether if it's a legitimate service dog or not. Uh, I think so. the uh, photo ID is a good idea mm-hmm. uh, with mm-hmm. uh, the individual and the dog, and and if if they have the tags on it, proper tags. Uh, <coughs> uh, I imagine them tags would include the shots being all up to date and all this and that. Now you get, uh, you tend to all that too, don't you? Well, we don't. That's the person's responsibility, you know, and they would have to carry that around, you know, with them. Um, and usually, that's just a piece of paper that they can keep in uh, one of the pockets of the backpack. But that's up to oh, the client yeah. to take care yeah, of. Right. Yeah. That'd be one purpose of the backpack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you haven't had much trouble with all that. Uh, no, we haven't. You know, and I don't know if it's just you know it's just the norm or if we've been fortunate. But um, and we do a lot of education here in town uh, with the businesses, um, letting them know what questions they can ask. Um, you know, if somebody brings in a dog, whether it's an assistance animal or not. And, um, like I said, I think that's the next big step for reform is that because, um, you know, obviously it's wrong for somebody to bring in a dog that's not a service animal and say that it is. That's misrepresentation. And I think it's disrespectful to anybody that really does need a service animal. And there's many, 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 many people that feel the same way. Um, and so they're trying to to make a standardized identification process so that there really won't be a question if somebody brings an animal be, in. That would be nice, like a federal identification. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's what they want to try to work toward. Um, and then that way there'd be no question, you know, and... Um, I think we'll get there one day. They're just not there yet, but they're working on it. It'll be a while. The government moves slow. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's not a priority, you yeah. know, but yeah. um, it's being worked on, and I think with enough pushback from our, what do you want to call it, 
our constituents and our kind of field of interest. Um, I think it'll happen. It'll, I think it'll happen sooner than later, but it just hasn't happened quite yet. Well, it's such a wonderful program. Uh, my lands, I, I can, I can just visualize seeing some of these poor folks out here in need of service dogs. You know that have them, but I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ones that are in need of them, uh, what a difference it can make in their lifestyle. Uh, their quality of life would go up considerably. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm certain of that. Uh, uh, having a service dog and uh, to have someone being in a position to train them for you and, and help you get, you know, get off on that first uh, step, uh, which is so crucial, uh, being able to uh, get started with it. You want to give us out your your uh, uh, website again and, and your phone number there so people can contact you? Sure. Um, our website is it's just our name. It's supportdogs.org. And our phone number is area code 314-997-2325. So, uh, you know, anyone out there uh, listening, uh, give them a call. If you you even think a service animal uh, uh, could be of assistance to you, and they don't necessarily have to be a veteran either, do they? No, they don't. They can be anyone. Of course, uh, here at the Haddock website, we uh, we do our best for looking out for veterans. Enough of those need to uh, support uh, uh, service dogs, uh, that's for certain. And, and them, uh, as they're coming back from the Middle East, I'm, I'm afraid the... Uh, demand's going to become uh, quite extensive. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, Stretch, do you have anything to add here? Oh, I don't guess he was in. Uh, but anyway, Bill, I think we're about out of time here. Okay. Uh, well, I th- Thank I'm, you I for. Uh, I'm on. Thank you for coming on, and certainly hope to get you back on uh, here sometime real soon, so we can keep everyone updated on on the progress of of your your program. And uh, I'd like to see that building get done, and and uh, you being able to put out 50 dogs uh, at least a year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing that. So uh, let's hope it gets done quick. Well, very good. Well, like I said, we're always happy to uh, to uh, come on, and I appreciate the invite. And um, any time, just ask. I'd be more than happy to come back. Okay. Thanks a lot, Bill. All right. And, you take uh, care. This will be Gerald Cook with that. You've been listening to the Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio Show, sponsored by Hadit.com. 
All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and are not the opinions of Hadit.com or Blog Talk Radio. Tune in next time for another edition of Hadit.com, Blog Talk Radio, and the Ask Master Show. That's Major O'Cuck with 